So it's good to be back. Uh, those of you who were here last week, who was here last week? Great. And did, did Heidi talk about Anicca, impermanence? She talked about freedom. Okay. I said, please talk about Anicca or whatever you like. <laughs> so freedom. Freedom's good, yeah. It's a good topic. So I might have to go back then uh, and talk about uh, impermanence, but I'll probably touch on it today because you can't really have one without the other. Uh, and what I'm doing, what I've been doing, for those of you who haven't been here, is uh, going through the, the core insights of the Buddha, actually, uh, known as the three characteristics of existence, or um, all there is, is the three characteristics of existence. There is nothing else. And this was really the Buddha's... Uh, Enlightenment, that's what enlightenment really means, is really clearly seeing, not just intellectually understanding, but really clearly seeing the three characteristics of existence, which is suffering. There is suffering in this world, and there is a way out of suffering, and this is the Four Noble Truths, right? That there is a way out of suffering, and there's a cause to suffering, and you know, there's a path to freedom that leads us out of suffering. That's the first characteristic, which I talked about uh, a few weeks ago. And then uh, anicca, which is uh, known as impermanence, or all things change. That which arises passes away. And that's, you know, a whole, that's really just all there is, right? What doesn't change? can't really think of anything that doesn't change. The sun comes up. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, but it's changing all the time. Eventually, because we're talking about eons. Eons. So, but each, yeah, I mean, I no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. There's repetitiveness in our perspective, in our perception, right? But yet, even within within the day, like there's, I, I would also disagree that actually it's totally changing all the time. The earth is changing, where, where it comes up is changing, but our perception is that it's consistent, right? Yeah, good, good. So the, the third aspect is um, known as anatta, and anatta is really like, it's, so, it's like hard to talk about and simple to talk about. And so we'll see how I do. The hard aspect is this, it's the concept of not-self. That there is no fixed and permanent anything. Which goes back to anicca, impermanence. That which arises passes away. No one lasts. No one stays. Uh, it... It's really um, unique to the Buddha, actually, that Hinduism and uh, other aspects of, of uh, kind of Eastern thought uh, had the idea of karma, the idea of suffering, the idea of uh, uh, impermanence, change, based on you know observations and whatnot. But the Buddha's uh, deepest insight is that um, the reason why we suffer. 
uh, is because we don't see impermanence and because we uh, cling to an idea of self that causes all of our suffering. So that's the easy version. Right? That's the simple version. So just stop clinging to the idea of self and you'll be all right. <laughs> it was only that easy. I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of this anatta and kind of try to break it down a little bit, talk about some Buddhist perspective, talk about some non-Buddhist perspective, kind of how do we, how is it that we get here. This also can be translated into no soul, which is actually what uh, the Buddha was saying. Um, Because in Hinduism and in most uh, Judeo-Christian kind of belief systems is that there is a soul that carries on. And that is, you know, heaven, hell, or reborn into this world. And the Buddha actually had a direct contradiction to that. And said, no, actually that's not the case. Nothing lasts. Nothing is sustainable. That which arises passes away. Otherwise the Buddha would still be here. Or Jesus would still be here. Now, I'm not going to get into that huge debate about that. Um, But in the Hindu belief at the time, Atman, which means soul that gets carried on, uh, was uh, the common understanding. And the Buddha, uh, through his enlightened mind, saw that that's not the case. That there is uh, a rebirthing that takes place. There is a uh, uh, coming back into the world, but it's not. Uh, there's no. It's nothing that is lasting. That is fixed. That moves from one lifetime to another lifetime, or one life to another life. But that's really what Atman. I mean, what uh, Anatta means. Anatta you, Anatta me. Right? I think about it that way sometimes. So it's uh, it's talked it's talked about as uh, not self. Or selflessness. Sometimes it can be talked about as uh, kind of emptiness. Impermanence can be talked about as emptiness. Not-self can be talked about as emptiness. Or egolessness. Is it a way I actually prefer from a psychological standpoint? It's a way I kind of prefer to think about it. Because really what we're talking about is that our identity to self is our ego. The egoic self. And to be egoless is to be free of the egoic self. Now, for some people, that is terrifying. And for some people, that sounds really awesome. And who you are depends on your type of attachment, actually. Some people are attached to uh, more of a kind of a delusional uh, uh, way of thinking. And the idea of egolessness sounds pretty awesome. Some people are pretty attached to uh, material uh, to desire, and it's hard to it's hard to uh, have desire if you're uh, egolessness. If you have little, very little ego or no ego at all. So, yeah, this is um, this is kind of the idea. This is what we're talking about. Anatta. So let's first talk about self. Common Western understanding of self. 
myself, the self, ourselves, permanent, monolithic, right? In other words, it's larger than life. It's huge. Kind of center of the universe, in a sense, right? Uh, That it's independent. In other words, I am independent from you. This idea of self is a separation, which is also part of the reason why uh, the Buddha was so clear about this is not a reality, because he saw interdependence, dependent arising. So all other schools of belief hold this idea of, of self. All other schools of belief besides Buddhism. And maybe uh, Taoism. I'm not quite sure about whether Taoism has the idea of soul or self. I have to maybe investigate that. It's a long time since I took a non-Western philosophy class. <coughs> so the non-Buddhist idea of self is the sense of I, right? human that is, uh, that changes are verifiable through the body and the mind. So that there are, you know, the idea of a Nietzsche is still present, but uh, that it's all happening through this, the knower, which is the I. The I is the processor of, of the body, uh, the identification of the body itself as self. So when I gave you that... Uh, Inquiry practice, you know, who am I? Right? It might have been confusing, it might have shifted, it might have changed. And then where is the I in this body? Those are two particular practices to kind of dispel the identity that we continue to create. Doesn't mean that we're going to poof, disappear. That's, That's the fear around it. Does anyone want to just kind of say maybe one thing that they noticed during that, that inquiry if they or in the conversation? Please. Yeah, I had a really interesting one where um, like I, when I was asking like, who am I or is I my body? It's like I recently got really good news and had this great job offer. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I've been identifying as this thing. And I realized I'm, I'm identifying as like the good things in my life uh-huh. that, you're, that I'm setting myself up for suffering because it's going to eventually end, right. you know. And so I, I just kind of realized that, that even identifying by good things or like good traits about yourself, uh-huh. you're setting yourself up for suffering because that's not really you. It's not going to stay that way. Right. Like that. I mean, so that's the great, great insight. Right, seeing that, oh, even the attachment to good things, good qualities, pleasurable experiences is a setup for suffering. Because the law of Anicca, right, the, the second characteristic says that that which arises passes away. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. Right? So if you believe that, you don't have to. Just look within your own life. You know. So, great, great. And then seeing that... Um, now, psychologically, that can also be helpful, though, to at least you're, you know, you're having versus the belief, the identification of all the negative traits, right? Like, I suck, I can't get a job, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that will also all change, too. But, but if we're feeding that form or that you know, part of ourselves, then uh, we could be feeding what's called unwholesome traits. So, yeah. 
It's good to know both things, you know. Because in our kind of Western culture, it's encouraged. Oh no, just think positive thoughts all the time. Forever. <laughs> and you'll be and you'll be happy. Good luck with that, is what I've said. I don't trust anyone that thinks thought positive thoughts all the time. And like if that's their presentation, I just don't. Like even his holiness, he's had a couple couple negative thoughts, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'd like to ask him that question, actually. See what he'd say. Maybe not. He's pretty, you know. The idea is that to be free from greed, hatred, and delusion, greed, hatred, and delusion, or ignorance, is that we actually don't have have negative uh, uh, mind states arise. That's the idea. So, you know, who knows? Maybe His Holiness. But I think on his way to getting there, he's got to have had it. So, that's my hope, anyway. Because I still have quite a few. So this Buddhist idea, thanks for sharing that. So this Buddhist idea of not-self, dependent arising is one way to think about it. So it's like, uh, there's not, so it's the opposite of, um, I am the center of the universe and everything that happens in my life is mine, right? And and, uh, that I have to identify with it. It's the opposite of that. It's actually that, no, actually, uh, good things happen to you and you and you. And we all have emotion and we all have eyes that see and we all have ears. And we all have different causes and conditions that have played themselves out based on karma. Right? And our attachment to this idea of uh, this is me, mine, is what causes our suffering and our separation from others. So I talked about this on um, at my other group the other day, and I'm giving it a bit of a different spin now um, because I, I, I use the aggregates as a way to talk about it there. And the aggregates are the things that we commonly confuse as me or mine, right? which is material form, uh, all material form, but particularly the body right? or this. So the body is me and this is mine. Right, and then there is uh, uh, the sense experiences, known as feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, neither. My feelings, they're mine, even though you all have them too. But when they're when I'm experiencing them, then they're mine, and you don't understand, mm-hmm. and that causes suffering. Right? Perception, this idea of perception. It's not actually an idea, it's a reality. There is perception. We have, we perceive. The mind is really good at that. What do we perceive? Everything. Why do we perceive everything? Because that is the way we're set up. Would perception exist without material form and feeling tone? No. So, there is material form, there is feeling tone, there is perception, there is mental fabrication, which is what happens after we perceive something. We have a 
a thought about it, a story about it. We know because we get lost in this all the time. The stories of me and mine. And then there's the, after the mental fabrication, is you know consciousness, right? which is kind of all-encompassing. The con- consciousness is the reality of here and now. Here's a little material form. Material form. <laughs> Feeling tone, right? Perception. Consciousness. Oh, mental fabrication, actually. Consciousness. I actually wasn't expecting to have an unpleasant feeling tone. But I did. So that is basically all there is. It's happening all the time. Break that down a little further later. We'll go back to that. <coughs> That's actually a whole other talk that I just. So this what is selfless? If we're talking about not self. What is selfless? Self-lacking, independent parts. So like I just gave you the five aggregates that they work together to create an idea of self. That they're not independent. Right? Let's think about it this way. Name a car. Name a car. Volkswagen. Volkswagen what? Bug. Volkswagen bug. Okay. So you, Volkswagen bug, and then let's say a Corvette, right? Just because, why not? Um, I don't like Corvettes. It's an unpleasant feeling tone. <laughs> Based on perception. Right? So a Volkswagen bug and a Corvette, totally different, right? Yet they're the same. And we identify with one or the other. Yet, what is a, what makes a Volkswagen a Volkswagen? The shape or the way it looks. The shape or the way it looks, so the way we perceive it, right? And its particular design. Uh-huh. So, if you were to take uh, the battery out, would it still be a Volkswagen? Would it still be a car? If you took it all the way apart, actually, would it still be a car? It wouldn't, right? If you like took the glass out and took the tires off and took the engine out, took the fender and put it over here, would it still be a car? It would be parts of a car, but not actually a car. So the idea of kind of its parts, or do we identify, do we identify with it as its parts? Because a 1968 Volkswagen Bug fender is really pretty individual. Right? But actually it can fit on other 68 Volkswagen bugs. Or maybe a 67 or maybe a 69. Depending, right? What about the accomplishment of purpose? Say that again. The accomplishment of purpose. The car is taken all the way apart. Its intended purpose is not accomplished. Right, right. So therefore, maybe it doesn't, so it doesn't exist as a car. Right. Yeah, that's the question. Does it exist as a car? Do we exist if we don't have that idea? What is the purpose? What is the purpose of this body? Right. What is the purpose of this life? You know. 
A great question, I think. Yeah. Yeah. One that we all have to ask because that's often what we're attached to. Right? Great. So, self, we don't really, I mean, we do. We identify this car versus that car. You know, they're, they're, they're different, but yet they're not different. They're actually one kind of species, right? And yet, if we break it apart, it maybe loses its identity and or its purpose, right? And so, therefore, loses its identity. Yeah. And so this idea of uh, uh, selfless, or egoless is like what is left if we maybe lose that purpose, whatever that purpose is. Now I'm like thinking special purpose, right? Like, like from the jerk, you know? Like we have a special purpose, <laughs> which is funny. The intended purpose of the car is that it's simplistic, right? But people, there is no intended purpose. Or is there? That's right. It can be. It's really whatever we attach, whatever we attach to, whatever you know. Yeah, exactly. So, just another kind of way of looking at uh, what is self, right? So, mind units in a waking state or in a sleeping state, right? The idea that things uh, appear real to us, both objectively and subjectively. So this is uh, this is like a dream appears real while we're unaware that we're dreaming. So if a dream feels real, this this and this when I was writing about this, uh, I was remembering that movie Inception, right? Where like a dream within a dream, or what dreams may come, or you know, it's like this. this I mean, but yet it's still just mind units pumping thoughts. Perception is still taking place. We're just in a. We just don't. We're not identified necessarily with it, but we believe it's real, right? Or a rainbow. So this kind of uh, subjective. A rainbow appears real from a distance. Yet, the closer you get to it, it it breaks apart. Right? It, it disappears, but it appears real. This is the, the same idea of self. It appears real. Fixed and permanent. But yet, the closer that we actually get to it, we begin to see how it breaks apart. How all material form breaks apart. So like a table is a table because we've learned the meaning of table, right? But really, it's a mental imputation. This, whatever we label this, is a mental imputation based on perception. Right? This, known as a Buddha Rupa, Rupa is material or form. Right? So it's a, a material form of the concept of Buddha, of the awakened being. But that's all perception. It's actually just a bunch of atoms and what are they called? Corks. And they're called corks now too. That's like smaller than an atom. I think there's probably something smaller than that. So it's like matter... Atoms, you know, the molecular structure of things, and then even breaks down smaller and smaller and smaller. Only in our minds does form exist. 
Only in our minds does form exist. It's helpful, though, to have this identity of self. It can be helpful. Myself versus yourself. Right? My car versus your car. My house versus your house. Right? My partner versus your partner. Otherwise, we'd get into trouble, right? So we have to, you know, so there's this, it's, it's my bank account, your bank account. Right? So, I mean, on some level, right, there's the, <coughs> what's it called? Personal. There's the personal identity. And then there's this universal identity. Right? So we have to really have a, a personal identity. I mean, it is, it's helpful, right? Uh, and then there's this universal truth that there is no fixed and permanent anything. But it doesn't mean that we don't have identity. Right? And that it's not useful. So that's the other, like I was talking about the greed type, then there's the other, the, there's, there's people that don't want to actually exist at all. There's a craving for existence and a craving for not existing. Right? If I don't exist, then I don't have to worry about any. I don't have problems. But the Buddha actually named those two. Desire, craving, keeps us identified. And the craving to not exist. Desire to not exist is the same but opposite spectrum. So we need to hold both of those clearly. Understand them. So what is mind, right? Mind is consciousness, right? What is consciousness? I should say, what is mind? What is consciousness? Uh, Ajahn Sumedho, uh, the kind of grandfather of this uh, tradition, would say, uh, or has said, uh, consciousness is just the reality of here and now. And now. And now. And now. That's it. It's the knowing of experience as it's occurring. So to rise consciousness is to rise your awareness of what's happening. Again and again and again. So here's a a quote around uh, this, this kind of conflict between self and not self. Although we imagine ourselves to be a self, a real substantial individual, according to the Buddhist teachings, we are in reality nothing more than a flame-like process. We, the flame as we see it, it looks, uh, looks material, but it's actually not material. Right? It's, constant, it's moving so fast, it's changing so fast that it appears real. So we're like a a flame-like process, an ever-changing combination of matter and mind, neither of which is the same for two consecutive moments. Uh, I I actually heard uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who, you know, he like gets all these scientists to come and study his monks' brains all the time, right? He's big on that, which is great because the... you know, the reality of science and the, the uh, proof that science can bring, the scientific method, just is giving more credit to 2,556-year-old enlightened wisdom. You know, so that's helpful. But I guess they clocked thoughts 
And the thoughts apparently move faster than the speed of... Now, I don't remember if it's sound or light, but pretty damn fast, right? I have to, I have to, I have to look back at my notes. Um, but that's how often, and that's how quick we're creating this identity of self. Just like the flame-like process. All the components of our being are impermanent, unsatisfactory, and devoid of a self. This is the teaching of the Buddha. All components of our being are impermanent, unsatisfactory, and devoid of a self. So this is not a being, right? And an identity, but a becoming, right? So we're constantly becoming, becoming, becoming. Yet what we mentally impute into the next moment is based on past perception and the aggregates all coming together. So we're kind of launching forward. Oh, I am this. I am this. Let me finish this and then I have another example. So life is not a being, an identity, but a, but a becoming. Not a product, but a process, right? There is in actuality no doer, only a doing, no thinking, or no thinker, only a thinking, no goer, only a going. So from the Buddhist perspective, and also from the psychoanalytic perspective, from the Buddhist psychoanalytic perspective, which is a whole new genre, Right, like going on being. So we're when we're fixing an identity, then we're creating this identity of self into the next moment. It's kind of like the first time I went to Thailand. Never been there before. Had no concept of what it was like. I looked on uh, Lonely Planet, saw some maps. You know, kind of had a rough idea, basically. <coughs> and then, I got there. And it was just a completely new experience of all the senses. And I had nothing to impute. Second time I went to Thailand, I had all these uh, ideas of what it was going to be like. Even places that I was going to go back to, that I had been before. And it was different. And there was some suffering about it, actually. And there was some, uh, luckily, you know, luckily there was also some shedding of this identity. That that's kind of what happens to us and to our families, right? We begin to see uh, ourselves and those that we see regularly, like a flame-like process, as this fixed, permanent thing, not changing. It's helpful to be able to... It's like, how do we shift on our own identity? How do we make room for a new way of being? Third time I went to Thailand, I let go of it. You know, I knew my way around, but I actually... I just let go of... Because there was suffering. There was attachment to... How, why isn't it like this? And it's always, it was always like, oh, it was better before, too, right? Maybe you guys have gone on vacations repeatedly in the same place and you know that experience. So this is all just kind of part of this identity. This way that we want things to be permanent, actually. We want things to be stable, yet they're not stable at all. So in this sense, right, the anatta teaching 
The teaching of not-self. It's not a doctrine of no-self. But a not-self strategy for shedding suffering and letting go of its cause. Right, leading us to the kind of highest undying happiness. What is undying happiness? It's the ability, my understanding, it's the ability to, it's known as sukkah in, uh, in uh, Pali, which is the opposite of dukkha, right, which is suffer. So this is a sustainable happiness. That is ever-changing. It's not permanent. But it's sustainable because in each new moment, there's no attachment. And so everything is just as it is. And there's acceptance of that. And that is undying happiness. Sukha, from the Buddhist perspective. So this strategy for shedding suffering by letting go of its cause, right, leading to the highest undying happiness. So at that point, questions of self, no self, not self, they fall aside. They're just not important anymore. Right? That once there's the experience of you know such total freedom, where there would be any where would there be any concern about what is experiencing it? So if we're experiencing freedom. As freedom, why would we be? Why do we? Why do we care? Oh, is it me that's experiencing freedom? Is there an I that is attached to freedom? No, that's not free. As soon as we do that, there's a self that gets created that has to identify with freedom. I actually heard um, John Travis talk about uh, this experience once. Just to, I'll go back to traveling uh, because. That has been so freeing for me in my life. I didn't leave the country until I was like 25 because I was terrified because I was indoctrined, indoctrinated into the idea that every other country is totally terrifying. Come to find out, this is actually the most terrifying country in the planet. <laughs> There's some rough patches here and there in other countries, but you know, it's interesting. But we're, you know, we're, I hear that a lot. The fear keeps us here. So, anyway, I remember traveling, and I heard I heard uh, John Travis talking about this too. And he's kind of a crazy wisdom guy, and he's you know spent years just kind of bumming around in uh, in India and whatnot. And he talked about this experience of driving um, over the, in the foothills of the Himalayas from like Punjab, which is a uh, an area in uh, in in India, over into Pakistan, and going around like on this on this uh, mountain, this mountain road, and like in the back of a truck, you know, so gnarly. And then, like the idea of he could die at any moment. You know, any turn, any big rock, you know, just pop him right out, he'd fall over the cliff. And he was totally free. That's what he said, he was totally free in that moment. But there was, it was like the excitement of the next turn was so thrilling to him. But there was no identity with Getting to the other side, even, and I felt very similar in my some of my travels too. You know, uh, the letting go. It's like you know here, you know this this identity. I'm a Buddhist meditation teacher, you know, or uh, in my you know the other roles that I have in my life, you know, as son, as you know, uh, a friend, you know, 
all of these different roles, identities. Uh, the first time I got on a plane and went to Indonesia, actually, I had no idea. I, let, I had to let it all go. I didn't have to be anyone when I got there. I landed. Nobody knew me, the guy that I went with. And we actually, it was really cool just to see how we both kind of shedded this identity as we traveled. And the longer we traveled. So, you know, those, those people who have had the travel bug, it's really, it's, it's, it's an interesting way of, of uh, concretely looking at how our identity causes us suffering. And how oftentimes when we can just go and could just hit the road or even just go on a road trip or whatever, that there is some freedom that comes from that, that we long for. And it's so much of it has to do with just letting go of the identity. I remember that because then people would like ask me, what do you do? And it's hard for me to like describe. And so I would like, I'm a teacher. But they were like, oh, like you teach, you know, college or this or that. And then I was like, I just don't want to talk about it. Like it just doesn't, I don't even know. Like I'm just a traveler. Not even just, I'm traveling, you know. So there was this like, I didn't want to. There's also, there was, then there was this aversion to wanting to identify with things. That non-existence. I had craving for non-existence. I didn't want to come back. Which actually just reminded me of that movie, The Beach, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'm I'm sure. As is usually the case. All right. Hmm. So there is... uh, Kind of self, selfing or identity creating characteristics, meaning that this is part of our kind of culture, right? And I mean, from an anthropological standpoint, you could see that that is culture. Culture is when we create meaning as an, an, an identity. And then there is this the mind that is possession. These are the kind of what we're talking about when we talk about self versus not self, right? So selfing. Is creating this identity, this characteristic, this meaning that we do, like you were, like you were saying, and identifying with the good or the bad, or the good and the bad, or the you know, as if the good and the bad were really who we were, right? How many of us identify with our jobs or our careers or our gender or our sexual orientation or our style of clothing or our tattoos or? anti-conformist views or, you know. This is me. I'm a Dharma punk, don't you know? I actually had that identity shattered some years ago. That was really, that was, I, I was like, wow, I'm so identified with being a Dharma punk. And then have it to kind of, have it having it kind of shatter the identity of that fixed identity that I thought I'll be that way forever was terrifying and freeing at the same time. Mm. I'm trying to remember his name. Buddhadasa Bhikkhu. A rebel monk in the south of Thailand, died in the late 80s. 
talked about uh, the trans, uh, his translation of this kind of idea of not self. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as me or mine. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as me or mine. Not self. So whatever we identify as me or mine is a creation of a self, even if it's being spiritual. So there's a few more examples, but um, well, there's a these these are there are a couple I think they're good as uh, (coughs) just common ways that we see things as whole. The I think the sun rising and sun setting was a good one, Um, even though that's that's also a cycle that's changing, but it's a consistent cycle, or so it appears. The sky is blue, is a master idea. We all, I've said that here, that, that here before, the idea of the sky is blue. We all can kind of agree based on perception, the sky is blue. Actually, it's not blue. Not, definitely not right now. So it actually is changing. Is it ever blue? It appears to be blue. Just like we appear to be solid and fixed, but it's actually never blue. It's a master idea, though. Walking appears to be kind of a solid motion, but actually it's several minute motions taking place. Which is what I love about walking meditation because you can really get into the lifting, moving, placing, shifting, lifting, moving, placing, shifting. And it sees, you could see how we actually, we just feel, oh, walking, you know. We identify with the idea of walking, perception, the reality of walking. But but it is also many different, it's lots of different things happening. Uh, when you see a line on a paper, it seems like a solid line. But like the flame, it's actually tiny little dots. If you look at it, look at it under a microscope. But it appears... So we mentally impute. There was this study done uh, where if you take like uh, a circle, but you don't have it, a complete circle or a square, and, and you only have like you know three and a half sides to it, that the the mind automatically sees the full shape, the wholeness of it. We mentally impute wholeness, solidity, because why? Why do you think? It makes us feel safe. Exactly. Someone who did their homework. Because the idea of impermanence frightens the hell out of us. The idea of nothing lasts. Like the idea even of the earth, right? Um, Being solid. There's nothing solid about this planet. It appears solid, grounded, right? We feel grounded, and that is good for us when we feel grounded. And I, 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 you know, I grew up in Santa Cruz. I know how to feel grounded. (laughs) But it's that fear 
What happens when we let go of our identity? So, this, um, I'm trying to remember where I got this quote from. I believe it's, it's His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Self, it's, I believe it's His Holiness the Dalai Lama talking about the Buddha's teaching. Self-grasping ignorance is the cause of all suffering. Self-grasping ignorance. So staying in the, the ignorance of that there is a solid and fixed safety is the cause of suffering. That what's freeing, like I was talking about traveling, when we can let go and, and allow those kind of senses of identity to drop away. Not forever, not, the, not that, well, there's the fear that we're going to not exist. Mm. I was just remembering, actually, as I was saying that, I was remembering being on this meditation retreat uh, like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. And really getting into the concentration of the breath, really, like, deep. I was, like, very, uh, like, into it, you know. Anapanasati is what it's called, right? Mindfulness of the in-and-out breath. And uh, the teachers, I kept, you know, yeah, they, they kept saying, just keep keep with the breath, keep with the breath. And so I, I would go and I'd go and I'd go. And then slowly, subtly, the breath began to kind of disappear. It just became less important. And uh, I was freaked out about it. Because I've come to rely on the breath as being the stable, the meditation object, the anchor. And then uh, there was one sit uh, where it actually completely disappeared. And I thought I wasn't breathing. So I started to get all in my head about it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not breathing. (gasps) (laughs) And I was like, oh. And then I was like, I was actually breathing the whole time, right? And then I talked to one of the teachers, and they were like, oh, that always happens. It's fear. Yeah. Fear of not existing. That, uh, and then actually, you know, I heard later. So if that ever happens, just go with it. Something cool takes place. You are still breathing. There is still a you. Maybe. Maybe. Or at least maybe the idea the idea of you will change. But that was the yeah, that's what one of the teachers was saying is that it's that fear of non existing and what would happen if we don't identify with the breath. Like I was identifying with the breath really strongly. So what happens if we stop identifying? So the Buddha teaches us. How to put an end to the beginning, to the uh, the beginning, the beginningless cycle of rebirths, in which we undergo in this manifold kinds of suffering. Right. So there's this kind of the way to the end of of this cycle is by removing the cause that drives us forward, life after life. And so this is this uh, this uh, identification with grasping to existence. Craving causes a person to engage in action, otherwise known as karma, right? designed to satisfy the craving. Yet as craving is essentially insatiable, the result is rebirth. 
So what this means in this idea of rebirth, my favorite kind of, uh, where I should say where I'm at now with it, and it's changing all the time, is that it's not rebirth life to life, but actually moment to moment. You know, when you go to bed at night, there's some kind of uh, thing that's compelling you to wake up the next day. What is that thing? Just ask yourself. As you go to sleep, maybe. Or as you wake up. Why am I waking up? So just, just some ways of kind of thinking about it, right? So I'm not going to say too much more about... about kind of this rebirth and karma, but it's all tied in together around anatta, actually. That anatta, this no-fix-and-permanent self, the allowing of our identity to dissolve, gives way to uh, loosening our identification with suffering, actually. And allows kind of karma, we can allow karma to work its way out instead of, sometimes we actually even identify with our karma as suffering. So there's uh, two things I'd like to read. We're kind of running out of time. I'll read one thing. (coughs) This is uh, from the Samutta Nikaya, which is the uh, teaching from the Buddha. So, no self or not self or not to. The instructed disciple of the noble one does not regard material shape as self, or self as having material shape, or material shape as being in the self, or the self as being in material shape. Nor does he regard feeling perception, the impulses, or consciousness in any of these ways. She comprehends each of these uh, aggregates as it really is, that it is impermanent, suffering, not self, compounded, woeful. He does not approach, he does not approach them, grasp after them, or determine self for me, myself. And uh, this, for a long time, conduces to his welfare and happiness. So, uh, cling to nothing whatsoever as me or mine. The instructed disciple of the noble one beholds... So the instructed disciple of the noble one, people who are in vine training, right, wanting to be free from suffering... Beholds uh, of material shape, feeling, perception, the impulse, the impulses, which is really uh, the senses, the impulses, the kind of volitional movements of the mind, the kind of compulsions, the impulses, desire, basically, or consciousness. So this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. So that when the material shape, feeling, perception, the impulses, or consciousness change and become otherwise, there arise 
not from, uh, not from him or her grief, sorrow, suffering, lamentation, and despair. So as long as we're not grasping to all of these aspects of the aggregates as me or mine, then we are not suffering. And when we identify, we're suffering. So part of the, my favorite final kind of translation of the three characteristics of existence uh, I got from John Kabat-Zinn. Shit happens. All things change. Don't take it personal. That when we personalize the shit happening and the changing or not changing, or not changing fast enough, when we personalize it, we suffer. So hopefully that was helpful and not too confusing. Anatta, like I said, anatta, the Anatta teaching can be very confusing. And you know, you don't have to know. You don't have to, you don't have to buy it at all, actually. That's what I love about this practice. If meditation is why you're here, meditation is enough. If understanding more about Buddhism is why you're here, there's a whole library. And more will be revealed. It's not an intellectual process. It's not a... There is no thinker. Right? Only a thinking. So we can see, if we can see that process, we can let go of the thoughts of needing to know. And at the same time, be open to knowing what we can Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.